You're listening to Return Again, where we look at Aliyah through the lens of Olim, who have lived in Israel long enough to have perspective. I'm Goel Jasper, and my guest today is Mark Tobin. Mark moved to Israel with his wife and family almost 25 years ago, after a beautiful courtship that had Israel at its center. They also made stops in Brooklyn and Boca Raton before making the big trip. I had planned on interviewing Mark a few months ago, and we kept having to postpone for one reason or another. Eventually, we were all set, and yet again I had to cancel. That was just a few days before Mark's wife Dodi, Zichonali Vracha, died tragically after battling cancer. But Mark is a strong believer in the importance of Aliyah, so when he asked me again recently, so when are we doing the podcast? I jumped at the opportunity, and Mark did not disappoint. The conversation was fun, uplifting, interesting, and at times devastating. I think we can all learn a lot from Mark's story and from Mark. For this conversation, Mark sat in the same chair Dodi had sat in for her interview, as he was gracious enough to allow me into his Beit Shemesh home. And so, with a heavy heart that is hurting even as I say these words, here's Mark Tobin, returning again. Where, where my father, Zichron Olivracha, used to say, I have a real problem with Israel because it's democratic and it's Jewish. And he, he used to say, if I have to choose between Jewish and democratic, I'll take democratic. I think you, you know, like we both know that, that Kahana used to say, there's a problem with democratic if non-Jews have a right to vote in Jewish state. So, so where do you stand on the whole thing in terms of, like, you, you presented that as sort of like a, um, this is just an objective perspective, so I don't know which side of it you're on. Uh, I, think I'm, uh, I think I'm on both sides a lot <laughs> right. of the times. Um, you're, on, you're saying you're on each side. I mean, I see, I see the benefits of both. Yeah. Um, clearly, I think that we have people that describe democracy as uh, in different ways at different times. Hmm. Um, I believe in democracy, but I also believe in, in loyalty to the state. You can't be part of the state if you don't believe in the state. So you can't take all the advantages of the state and then piss on the state. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's where my problem is with with the Arab lawmakers and some of the Arab citizens. I think they have every right to be citizens of Israel, but I think with citizenship comes responsibility. Now I have the same problem with Haredi politicians and Haredi uh, citizens who don't feel that they have they take that they want the benefits, but they don't want the responsibility. Um, I don't know why it's a big deal that we said that uh, we accept, we can't accept Ram in the coalition because they're anti-Zionist, <laughs> and we accept Aguda in the coalition when they're anti-Zionists. 
the, that is a problem for me, both morally and emotionally and, and on all levels. Um, that points to a little bit of racism, that we say that these guys who don't believe in the state are okay, but these guys that don't believe in the state are not okay. Um, and in a lot of ways, you know, we're in this quandrum and we don't know where we're going. And I think it's a big question for us as, as a nation right now. We have to figure out where it goes. I think Bibi has exacerbated that hmm. because when he gets up on the other day when after the election saying we have to put the campaign behind us and unite when he just spent 18 months <laughs> bashing everybody, bashing everybody <laughs> doing things that were negative to a lot of citizens in this country just so that he could get back into power. Me, that's a little cynical to me that, that he makes kind of statements like that. Um, but, you know, maybe I'm different. I mean, I, I just was, think that's politics. Politics, politics for centuries has been an ugly game. Uh, it, yes. We just see more of it now because right. of social media, but it's we always been there. We see more of it, but we also we see people abusing it more. Hmm. Could be. Um, you know, when he acts like that, it's very, it's very difficult for me when he tried to destroy someone personally because they tried to act in the benefit of the state, not on a, not on a policy-wide basis, but on a, on a personal level. And it became like, wh what's that all about? Well, what's, what's the state of Israel to you? And, 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 and I know that's a, that's a broad question, but like, is this, I see, I see the state of Israel as, as a significant step and a, a means to the end. And some people see the state as the end. So how do you see the state? Well, I definitely see it as reshit smichat gulatinu. In fact, I would say that we're beyond reshit. Right, right. I think we're at shlishit smichat gulatinu. I think that, I, I think it has a lot of dimensions, the state of Israel. I think certainly for, for what we experienced as a people, um, it is definitely a haven for the Jewish people. It's a place where we know we'll be safe. We know we have to have an army. We know we have to have these things because there are a lot of people that just hate us, right. which is very counter to the bracha that Avram gets in this week's Parsha after the Akedah that everybody will kind of, you know, bless him. Um, I think that... Yeah, well, it, little by little, it's happening more. Yeah. I think that there's the, the tremendous amount of anti-Semitism that comes about at different port times through ignorance um, I think today's anti-Semitism is different than the anti-Semitism of the Nazis and, 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 and previous generations because this is like a, a, a complete, it's not like people who are being affected directly by, by Jews and living with them. It's their, um, it, it's these fantasies that have been created by people that people buy into. Um, meaning not that Jews did anything to encourage anti-Semitism, but, you know, when they lived with people, but this is something where people were living near each other, so there was, um, there were, there were times when, I guess, resentment came in. I think now we're in a situation where it's no longer resentment, it's just this kind of fantasy that's been created by certain people on both the left and the right, um, as to use them, to use Jews as this figure, Jews, not Jewish people. Um, so I think we definitely have that element of being the safe haven. I think we have the d element of the religious ka'ula aspect of what the state of Israel is. 
and the visions of Rav Cook and the visions of of others, you know, are bringing us to this point of Kaula. Um, and I think that that's a, a difficult thing to mend sometimes, uh, being an Orla Goyim. It's difficult to be an Orla Goyim when, when you know, a lot of bad things are happening. It's easy to be an Orla Goyim when everything's nice and easy. Right. When right. things become more difficult and <laughs> you have to deal with terrorism and you have to deal with people who are disloyal to the state and you have to deal with people who are uh, attack the fabric of the state, it's not so easy to turn the other cheek. That's not actually the way Judaism looks at it. No, that's not a Jewish concept, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, actually know, a full Jewish concept. Yeah. Um, I was asking the question about what you see the state as because I guess that would be the difference between uh, an, an, an Arab anti-Zionist party being part of the government and a Jewish anti-Zionist party being part of the government at least the the Jews in that party don't stand for for right. Jews being sent out of the land. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so that, that's, that's an true. important distinction. That's true. Yes, that's a big distinction. Yeah, yeah. Um, because for them, it, the state is not the end. The state is some kind of well, some kind that, of step. They don't see it as right. a positive step, but it's some kind of step. They believe right. in the concept of geula. Right. Right. They believe it's going to happen eventually, and so here we are. Right. I, I think, think that's the sort of the way they is, look at it. I think we also have to differentiate between the Haredi political parties and the Haredi people. Mm -hmm. The people. The individuals, I think there's a lot more there's a lot more recognition of the state, appreciation for the state. Um, it, with the political parties where I think are, you know, governed basically like like a mafioso situation yeah, where yeah. it's about money, where it's very cynical. I mean you have people who are heads of, you know, de facto heads of parties who are incredibly wealthy and have taken money and sucked money out of their, even their constituents, and that are very happy with their people living in poverty uh, and continue to live in poverty. And, uh, you know, it's not for an altruistic poverty level, you know, they're, they're very happy being very wealthy, you know, and they're very happy seeing their people who, you know, they're worried about paper plates and, and cheap uh, sugary drinks. Yeah. Uh, so I think yeah. that, the, that that's also a difference. Um, but I think I think the, the the hard thing for us as a country right now is to figure out how we can have good leadership that is going to unite people and not leadership that's going to that's going to rip people apart. And social media, I think, um, we live in these echo chambers where it's easy to just rip people apart, and it's like just accepted that we rip people apart. Right. Um, that's the, the, well, the downside of social media. Um, I think having good people will produce good, good results for us. We'll see generations of good people grow up. Um, you know, I have a friend of mine told me that in, years ago in Efrat, when they were protesting against uh, the government on Dagan, when they were going to build in Dagan, there right. were all the kids and the mothers went out to protest. Uh, he told me, you know, lo and behold, when everything ended, they went back into the schools and the teachers couldn't control the kids. Um, you know, there are messages. I wonder, I wonder how that happened. There are messages that come out, and I think that that's about being a, a good person. You know, that's why I, I, when I went to choose who I was going to vote for, I was thinking a, a large part of my decision was, Who's a good person? Who's going to be a good leader? Who's going to give us the right example to set? Um, you know, 
And that's, I think, a big thing that's lacking in the world today, is having menschlich people who are running things, um, and not egomaniacs and not narcissistic people. And, uh, and you, you know, unfortunately, you get what you get, and that's, uh, that's where we're at today. So who'd you vote for? I voted for Ayala Chaked. You are, uh, I, it kind of shocks me, given how many people have told me they voted for her, that she didn't get in. Well, I think we know everybody <laughs> that voted for her. <laughs> it could be. No, but I'm, I'm not all from HMS, like people yeah. from all over the place. I mean, I voted but for anyway. her because I, I, I wanted to vote for Lapid because uh, I thought that uh, I think he is a mensch. And I think he presents himself as someone who's a healer. Um, I don't think he's a leftist. I don't think we have leftists anymore, um, for the most part. In, in well, they didn't make it of, in. In positions of power. <laughs> right. I don't think we have leftists. Um, and I thought, Ayelet, uh, I, I thought she was going to be the 61 so that she could put a break on certain things. Yeah. Uh, or she wasn't going to get in and, and we'd have a deadlock so that maybe... So why, why did you vote for him then? For who? For Lapid. I didn't vote for Lapid because um, even though I understood why he had to bring up the Palestinian issue at the UN, right. the mere fact that he brought it up brought us back to a position of even, even talking about this being a realistic option, so, yeah. option which yeah. is just so far from reality and just holds us back because of the the infantilization that the world has for the Palestinians. And right. we, instead of really dealing with reality, we keep on bringing this up as if, oh, this is going to happen, when we all know that it's not going to happen. And even the, and there aren't any Arabs that want it to happen. So, you know, so that's, why I, that's why I didn't vote for my people. Yeah. I just thought it was, you know, and plus, I didn't like the fact that, you know, in order, if he was going to win, he would be reliant on merits and Michaeli and Labor, and they, I, I just de detest them. In fact, to me, Meretz is much worse than Ram. Hmm. And, uh, you know, some of the people in Meretz are much worse, for my taking, than Ben Gvir, the way that they talk and, and the way they think. So right. That's why I Okay, well, that was interesting. Uh, we, can, we can talk all day. You and I have had long talks before, and uh, we'll have them yeah. again. Um, I I uh, I was supposed to interview you a while ago, um, and I think we were scheduled to do it like a week and a half before Dodi Zichronali Racha passed away. Yeah. Uh, and I contacted you, and I'm like, Mark, I, I'm I can't make it today, and you're like, no problem. <laughs> Meanwhile, you have yeah. you have other things going on, um, and. I, I just want the listeners to understand how passionate you are about this enterprise called Israel um, and Geula and the Jewish people and everything that that here we are. How many months ago did she did she pass away at this point? Uh, two. Two months ago. And you're like, so when are we doing the interview? And so thanks for doing this. I don't I don't know where we're going with the interview. It's not going to be a standard one. But um, but uh, it's just great to have you uh, so committed to the Jewish people. There are a lot of people who get, receive a lot of attention because of their commitment to the Jewish people, and they make a lot of noise, and there are other people who are quietly making a serious difference for the Jewish people, and I would put you in the second category. 
I have a feeling you're not interested in the first category. <laughs> um, so it's good to see you and uh, let's talk. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I will tell you that the, the interview that you did with Dodie is something that uh, you know, my family cherishes and people listen to it um, and uh, get a lot of chizuk from it. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I've told you this before, like the whole idea was for people to get chizuk. I, I never had that in mind, that <laughs> kind of chizuk in mind. But if it's having that, if it's having that benefit, I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but but um, uh, even, even before even before she left this world, it was one of the most popular episodes we had. Yeah. Um, and I guess in a similar way, she also quietly was impacting the Jewish people in significant ways. Um, but let's talk about you. Okay. Um, you grew up where? I grew up in uh, Great Neck, New York. In, uh, I was born in Queens, in Douglas and Queens. And we moved to Great Neck when I was uh, five years old, I guess, just before I started kindergarten. And um, my parents, uh, my dad grew up in the Bronx. My mother grew up in Brooklyn. So my dad always says they were a mixed marriage. <laughs> uh, I have an older sister who's four and a half years older than me and a younger brother who's four years younger than me. And uh, we, bro we grew up in the, uh, we were the American dream family. What does that mean? Um, my parents were both, uh, uh, both of, uh, all my grandparents were born in America. Right. Um, I would say they, they grew up in a, a lower income uh, working families. My, uh, my mother's father worked multiple jobs right. at the same time. My, my grandmother worked um, uh, on my mother's side. My grandmother worked on my father's side. My, my paternal grandfather drove a cab and uh, ran a bar and, and did sorts really? of very, various things. Um, and my parents, uh, you know, were the, you know, grew up in the 50s. Uh, they were born in the 30s and uh, they came to age in the 50s. Um, my mom went to Brooklyn College, got a teaching degree. My dad went to City College. So you're uh, saying little by little. Little by little, they the, moved yeah. out to the suburbs. They yeah. first moved to Queens into a garden apartment. And right. Then, you know, in 1971, they were able to buy a house in Great Neck, and you know, uh, you know, our first—I think the first new car my father bought was in 1977. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, we were in—you know—we went to public school. All three of my, my siblings and I went to public school. Um, my parents were very active in the Jewish community. So, so when was the first time you even knew the concept of Aliyah? In that kind of setting, where oh, it's like, all um, like, you know, Aliyah, making progress in Aliyah, America. Aliyah I, um, came to me, on a personal level, it came to me after, the first time I went to Israel was 1983, uh, my summer tour after, 17. My, after my junior 18, year in 17, high school. 17. Yeah, 17. And um, then I went to Israel for my junior year, the second semester of my junior year in college. Um, Aliyah, for me, on a personal level, I started in 1983 thinking about it. Before that? You know, after I'd come to Israel. No, I mean, we were the ultimate, you know, conservative Jewish 
you know, family. We were, my mother was the president of everything. My father was the president and the, you know, the, uh, the, the person who enabled my mother to be the president. Um, you know, my first experience with Israel, my first real conscious was I think my, my maternal grandparents came to visit Israel in 1971. They went right. on a uh, American uh, Jewish Congress tour of okay. Israel uh, during Rosh Hashanah, I think, or, you know, the Chagim. Yeah. And I remember they came home. I remember when they left, my sister was in Hebrew school and she had a pen pal. And I remember they, they took a baseball glove to meet their the pen pal. I, I don't think he knew what a baseball glove was. <laughs> right. But, you know, that was my first real experience. I remember when they came home, I got this, you know, cool, you know, I, uh, I think it was this cool, like, yarmulke with, like, I don't know, metal on I don't know, it was crazy, you know, but I had this thing. That was my first real understanding that there was a place called Israel. I mean, I was five years old at the time. Right. Um, but I remember vividly um, the 72 Olympics. You do? I remember sitting in my den with You're my six parents. six years old. Watching, you know, and I remember Jim McKay talking about uh, the, the, the terrorism, and I remember my parents being very upset and... Uh, I remember that vividly. I remember um, in uh, in May of 1973, my parents at that point were very active in our synagogue, and they were the chair people of uh, an Israel Expo for the 25th anniversary. They turned the whole shul for like five days into mini Israel. You know, there was right. a shook in the in the ballroom, and there was the <laughs> the Kotel mock up of the Kotel on the front lawn of the shul, and. In the back, there was a big tent with falafel and, you know, sand where we were digging for artifacts and stuff like that. That was a big impression on me. I remember that. Um, one thing about my parents was everything that they did from a point of view of activism in the shul included us, included my siblings. Like, mm. we were always there. Right. Uh, it was a second home for us. It was never, really? It was never like, my parents do this and we do something else. It was always, we're always involved. Um, at every event, and, and we were always the kids that were involved. And, f you know, for me and my brother, who was younger, uh, four years younger, we were definitely the youngest. You know, my sister had some peers that were, that were involved there, but for us, right. in that conservative school, we were like, we were like, uh, you know, onto our, onto our own. Um, <laughs> and then I remember, I, and I vividly remember our, our rabbi, uh, Rabbi Henry Dicker, getting up in shul on, on, on Yom Kippur that that year talking about the war and uh, that the war had started and right afterwards my dad um, chaired a drive to to, um, to buy an ambulance and uh, I think by Sukkot we had an ambulance and I there's some pictures of me sitting in the front of the ambulance you know my father had raised whatever the money was like in a very quick time and I ambulance for Israel for Israel yeah. Magin yeah. David Adom right yeah. and uh, you know I remember Sukkot that year being at my aunt and uncle's in Teaneck and we had, you know, we had the World Series on because the Mets were in the World Series. And 1986. We, and we were, you know, oh, talking 73, about... Oh, 73, 73, 73, sorry. Talking sorry. about the war and, and uh, huh. I remember that vividly, um, that consciousness. And, uh, you know, we always marched in the parade. Um, yeah. so, so, so how would you classify Israel in your house? Like, because it Israel was... was like one of the central pillars of my house growing up. And it, it didn't start that way, but it evolved into that. It evolved into 
that was where, you know, Judaism was central in our house. Mm -hmm. um, and Israel took on a more prominent role as we got older. And as my, my parents' first trip to Israel was in 1981. Right. My sister had gone in 1978, the summer of 1978. Um, so it, it had a very real feel, but it was sort of like a non-real feel because I had never been there. So we marched right. in every parade. Sure. In the set, in '75, Zionism is racism. You know, we were at that rally. I got lost at the rally. <laughs> I was a little kid, and and I got <coughs> lost, but I remember it. I remember they had a Shlomo Karlbach was singing Am Yisrael Chai, and the police were like, "As soon as he finishes this song, we'll get you up there and we'll find your parents." Um, you know, so that was very strong. I remember we walked around with uh, these little buttons that we had, the blue buttons that said, I am a Zionist. We right. walked around with that. I also remember in, in my house, because my parents were so active in the shul, um, you know, and, and took on leadership positions very often, like, you know, they'd have the UJA breakfast, the JNF breakfast, the Israel Bonds breakfast. You know, those were highlights of the year for us. My father was very involved in, in all of them, specifically in... Uh, in Israel bonds, he chaired the Israel bond drive in our shul probably for like, I don't know, 12 years or, you know, in a, in a row. Um, but I remember they'd always have speakers from Israel um, come. Someone would come from the consulate or, you know. And I remember the feeling as a kid, and it may have been a generational thing, but those were holy people who were coming to Really? Speak. That's how you saw them? If you lived in Israel, you were holy. <coughs> you know, the generals that would come or the... You know, the Uzi Narcuses that were out there doing shlichut and doing these things. They were, they were like holy people. And I remember always having that feeling that they were, there was, there was something special about them. Um, but all of this, all of this does not put Israel into any kind of context of this is an option <laughs> for where to live. Right. It's all. It's all like Israel is like it's part of it's part of Jewishness. We support Israel. We're into Israel, but as far as a living option, I, I remember. I remember in seventh grade, a good friend of mine. I haven't been in touch with him since he left. He came into school one day. He's like, "My family's making Aliyah." Yeah. And I was like, "What? <laughs> like, I don't even know what that means." He's like, "Yeah, we're we're moving to Israel." His name is Benji Gross. Okay, Benji Gross, if you're listening, get in touch with me. I'd love to. I'd love to hear how you're doing. It was the like we all loved Israel in seventh grade. We all went to the parade. We we had falafel on Yom Like, yeah, 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 to all that. But the, it's a totally different concept to see Israel as a place to live. Yeah. So the first experience that I had with somebody living in Israel was, uh, I think it must have been, uh, it was the year of the Malot massacre. So that was, uh, I think, 74. Um, I had a friend named Evan Gappelberg mm -hmm. that his father did a sabbatical in Israel. Oh, okay. Um, and I remember coming, when I heard about the Malot, that must have been in Hebrew school, it must, have been, it must have been 74, and I remember being so scared that something happened to Evan. Oh, really? You know, I had no idea what, where Malot was, yeah, where Evan was, was living, but I yeah. figured, you know, it was a pretty small place. Um, for me, the... When I came on USY pilgrimage in the summer of 1983, um, I fell in love with Israel. You know, I was like, wow, this is awesome, you know. Actually, what was awesome? 
just everything. I just loved everything about Israel. I loved, I loved everything. I loved the people. I loved the food. I loved the kotel. I loved the tiulim. I, I just loved everything about it. I loved that feeling. And I had, I had, there was a girl on the trip who was Israeli. You know, she was part of our trip. They had the, you know, and I, you know, she became my girlfriend and I had this connection with her. And, and it was very much like, I remember thinking to myself, okay, this is eventually where I'm going to be. Really? You know, and, and it was very strong. And, you know, I'd been moving. My, I, I think my Israel relationship uh, together with my, you know, my transformation on a religious level also, you know, it, 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 it all was happening at the same time. Um, you know, so I, I think that Israel, for me, in 83 became real because it was the first time I was there, the first time I saw things, this, you know, really saw. And then I went off to college. Um, All right, I, before, before we get yeah. to that, sorry. How many people were on this trip with you? Uh, we were uh, two buses, I guess, so yeah, 60 so, people. Yeah, so, well, 100 people. Yeah, what, yeah, I, I, yeah. So, did... Did anyone else feel the way you felt? Like, were you walking yeah, around so. like starry-eyed, and everybody's like, "What's up with Mark?" I, 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 <laughs> no, I think we all. I think we all on the trip. You know, for the most really? part. You know, it was one of those great. First of all, it was a different time. We weren't cynical. We weren't. We hadn't been to Israel fifty times by the time we we're seventeen years old. You know, it was all new. You know, we. You know, going to the hotel was like, you know, amazing. You know, doing all these things was was just. It was all new. It was all fresh. It wasn't that I was coming to Israel because I liked falafel or because I liked uh, marzipan or, or, or that kind of stuff. <laughs> Do you like marzipan? I don't like marzipan. I can't stand marzipan. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so I think that that was, um, you know, that feeling, just a real feeling of Jewish pride, a real feeling of, you know, this is my country, you know, really came through. I remember I had, you know, bought a big flag and put it up in my room at home and that, uh, that was my, you know, that was my decor from that, that moment forward. And it carried, you know, when I went to college, it you know, was always on my, my wall. Um, you know, and I think that as I, as I started to transform um, yeah. you know, religiously, because like when I went into my, the end of my junior year in high school, I decided that you know, I was making a change. I was, you know, was taking on Shabbat fully and, you know, and whatever, I started to evolve religiously, and Israel was definitely part of that evolution. Um, you know, it was very much, but this idea of the Jewish pride and the Jewish, and the country was a very big thing. I remember, I have this memory of going to my cousin Richard Rosen's room uh, after he had come back from Israel, and he had this poster, it's a famous poster of a, a chayal in Sinai during the war with a in his talus, in his talus with his lulav and etrog by right. a tank, right. and I was like, "That is the coolest thing." <laughs> and uh, I remember I couldn't wait. And I eventually bought that poster, and it was like on my wall, you know, for a long time. I remember when my boys were in the army, I'd be like, "Take that picture with the lulav and, <laughs> and send me the picture." And I have a couple. Oh of yeah, them. they did that they for did you. That. <laughs> yeah, they're good to their father. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I remember that feeling, and you know, it, it carried over because. You know, like I said, my parents were very active in everything we did Jewishly. And I became active, you know. So when I went to college, I was, you know, involved in Hillel and involved in, in Zionist activities, you know. And I remember, you know, we brought Kahana to campus, you know. And we brought, and, and it, at Brandeis, where I went, it wasn't that we were, 
you know, up against Arab students, we were up against progressive Jewish students. So, right. you know, I was definitely on the right-hand side, you know, when, when things, when people were coming and, uh, and doing that and taking a leadership role and moving forward. And then um, the second half of my junior year, I came to Israel, to Hebrew U. And that was really what, you know, that, that, that made it a done deal. You know, I just was in love with Israel and was loved with everything. Um, when you, we'll get to that in a second, but when you started with this whole thing with the Israeli flag on the wall, and like I, I guess maybe you took down, you took down your poster of Bernard King and you put up, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, an Israeli flag instead or whatever it was. Um, how did your parents feel about this? Because there's there's sort of like there's two perspectives from parents. Some parents are like, hey, you know, this is this I, I is great. I think my and, parents saw it as a natural evolution um, in what what I was doing. Uh, and what we were doing as a family, because my pa my family went through an evolution. You know, my sister went to for for um, for for college. She went to JTS in Columbia. Right. So she started a process for us that we started moving forward as a family. Even though my parents really started it because they got involved in the synagogue and then they became presidents of things and then they. You know, we're involved in everything, and that, that started. You know, but we were like the quintessential, you know, conservative Jews, you know. We drove to shul. My father made sure that, you know, that Little League games didn't start before 1 o'clock so that there was no very conflict. He started a soccer league so that there was, you know, that would play soccer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So there was never a conflict. So shul was in the morning. Baseball and soccer were in the afternoon. But, you know, it was never conflict. He wanted to make sure that I was able to, or me and my siblings, or anybody else, would not have to choose between shul and and sports. Right. You know, so that was a very big thing. Um, so you know, it was like an evolution as things go. Uh, you know, and you 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 build upon everything builds upon it. Um, I think one of the things, the hallmarks of my parents was not staying stagnant in the position that you were in. We all grew. We all kept on moving. And I think that that was a big message that came in the family, uh, on a Jewish level, um, on an Israel level. You know, so my, like I said, my parents' first trip was in 1981. Right. And then it was every summer. Oh, really? Or every other summer that they would go back to Israel. You know, it wasn't like, oh, it's a one-time deal. You know, it became... Um, so I think that that started to evolve. And, uh, you know, fast forward, I, I remember being on a business trip in New York and I had some colleagues who were both Israeli, uh, born in Israel, and they came to the house and whatever they we we had a meeting in Long Island, so we went to my house and we showered and we had breakfast and then we yeah. went over. And I remember, uh, you know, one of my colleagues saying after he came out of the shower and the shampoo and conditioner and the <laughs> and the soap were all ahava. Oh, okay, and then yeah. he came down, and my mother was serving like awesome crackers, and and, <laughs> and he said, "Is there anything not from Israel in your house?" You know, my mother used to even bring back like je jelly from right. Israel. You this know, is when to, you were already living here. Was, uh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. this is when I'm already living here. Yeah. But I, I think that that's you know that was the evolution from like okay you know we care about Jewish athletes being killed in Munich to right. the entire house is full of you know Israel, you know, and that that focus. Um, so I think that that was, you know, that was something that my parents brought to, brought to the table, and we, we kind of followed up, you know. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, and I remember when I told my parents that we were making Aliyah, my parents were thrilled. You know, some really? people are disappointed, yeah. but my, or, or 
I shouldn't say disappointed. Some people are apprehensive. Right. Um, I think some people are actually disappointed. <laughs> Uh, my parents, I remember my mother said to me, if you didn't make Aliyah, I would have been disappointed. Wow. Because I know that that's what you wanted and that's the direction we were going. So, so what, what, was, what was that junior year like uh, in, in, at Hebrew University? That it was so, it was even just, though you were on that path, sort of transformative. I, it was just, um, it, it was just, first of all, it was freeing. You know, I was here in Israel. I was this, you know, 20, 20 21-year-old, you know, Walking around and, and just living and and just having a great time visiting different communities every almost every Shabbat I would go someplace else. Really, if not, we hung out in uh, at Hebrew. I remember the basketball court overlooked Har Habayit. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was like amazing place to play basketball. I had great friends, uh, all people on the same path. I think we were uh, we were one of the biggest one year programs at that time. You know, a couple hundred people on the and a, and a good number of them still live in Israel oh, really? now. Um, some of them are my closest friends. Um, I still get, we still get together. And uh, it was just, it was transformative, I think. Seeing the culture, being part of the culture, you know, not being, you know, afraid of anything, you know, taking the buses wherever we wanted to go, you know. It was just, it was just awesome. You know, it was just a great experience for me. And so, you're, you're spending that time here, and and how how quickly into that it was a semester or a full year here? I was here for just a semester. Okay, so how how far into the semester were you like, oh yeah, this is a done deal? Uh, I would say you know, I would say halfway through, I knew that I was gonna you know I knew that that was the path I wanted to be on. And so from then on, how did that impact? decisions you were making maybe you can talk about okay you get back to the states after like where where do you go from right there? so uh, my senior year was you know very much a uh my senior year in college i was definitely now i was fully a leader in on-campus zionism i worked for azyf i was helping people go on programs and you know very much uh you know in the forefront of what was happening in israel israel programming and israel lectures and, and things like that on campus. Um, I decided to go to law school. Uh, I don't know why, uh, <laughs> but I decided to go to law school. What does that mean you don't know why? I know why. Uh, but <laughs> so I, I why did you a, decide to go to law school? I, I thought it might be a good career path for me as I, as I started on my journey of uh, uh, being an adult. Um, I went after I graduated, I came to Israel for the summer. Right. Um, I went and I did a program. Uh, I, I had a friend in Ashkelon who uh, was a conservative rabbi there, and I worked, I ran a camp in the conservative shul in Ashkelon, and I ran a camp for something called the British Olympic Society. Right. And so I was in Ashkelon from uh, middle of June until, until the end of August, and um, it was great. You know, now I was living in Ashkelon. Yeah. And, you know, my Hebrew was getting better, and uh, I was running programs, and I was even a lifeguard for a little bit, you know, like do, doing fun things with a good friend of mine who I was at Hebrew U with, um, you know, living there. Um, and again, just totally in love with Israel. Every Shabbat we would go to Jerusalem and figure out what to do about meals. And, you know, with Jeff Seidel, we'd get set up at the Kotel every Friday night and right. uh, just doing various things. And it just was, was further cementing that love of Israel. Um, then I went to law school, and um, I 
starting my third year in law my third year in law school, I think I went to Israel three times. Really, my brother was here at Hebrew U, uh, or two two times. I came for, I came for like three weeks in, uh, around uh, Freedom Kippur, and then a couple of weeks afterwards, and then I came back for for um, for Pesach. Right. Um, and I just was you know, I was like okay, getting on the, on the ball. So that was 1990. Uh, 1990, 1991. Uh, I came back in, um, I came back in 92. Um, and uh, I was already dating Dodie at that point. We were sort of, we were in a different stage where we, we were dating, but not really dating, I don't know. I came back in 92 for Yom Yerushalayim and, and Shavuot. And I came home and I remember I was in my apartment in New York and Dodie came over to see me and I said, um, I said I'm ready to move. You know, I'm I'm good. I can I can move right now. I remember we were, and I'd been living on the west side of Manhattan. Okay. And here I got to experience the whole katamo and the pizza and the whole thing. And I was like, look, if I'm in in New York, I can do this here. And I'm already in Israel, and I'll figure out what to do job wise and everything like that. And she was like, whoa, 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 I'm not ready yet. And I'm like, I didn't know. This was a discussion between you being ready and me being ready. You know? In other words, I, I didn't know we were ready to make that discussion <laughs> to, to, together. But I guess she was ready to make that discussion together. But um, but at that point, uh, well, you're saying at this point she knew you're getting married and you don't yet know you're getting married. No, I knew we were getting married. She had not yet known that we were going to get married. Okay, but, but nevertheless, she thought she was. We were making a decision together. <laughs> you it, guys it, were like it, a chavruta. It, it was complicated. It was complicated. <laughs> but I think, you know, just part of that, and I think, um, you know, when, when Dodi and I met, you know, there wasn't a conscious discussion about, do we want to live in Israel? At that point, when, when I met her, I knew I only wanted to date someone who was going to move to Israel. You know, we had a, uh, a long, complicated courtship um, but there was never a question about Israel. Israel was never the question. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you know, as you heard on, uh, when Dodi said, you know, our first real meeting was Yom Matzmut over the Mechitza dancing and then Yom Yushalayim where we sat together and uh, listening to Rav Amital and, you know, other Yom Matzmut experiences. And, and, but Israel was always, when we dated, Israel was always Muvan Me'elav, that that's where we were going to be. Right, um, but but she says she's not ready. You said I'm 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 ready, and you went with with her on that. You're like okay, because well, I was all excited that she was actually telling me that she was you know part of the process. Yeah, so yeah, I just said, sure. Okay, you know, I'll wait for you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> right. Um, but it turned out to be you know obviously Hakobi Deshamayim and everything worked out. You know, we got married in 1993. Uh, we came on Israel on our honeymoon. Uh, we were here for, I think, two and a half weeks. And, you know, we were just, you know, smitten in love with Israel. Um, and it was Scouting just, it out or just having a great no, time? No, no, just having a good time at that point. But, um, uh, but really understanding that this is where we were going to be and what we wanted to do with our lives. Um, we didn't say we have a five-year plan. We didn't say we had a three-year plan. We didn't have any kind of... Yeah, there wasn't like we didn't have to work up to it. It was yeah. we we knew when the time was right, the time was right, um, and it turned out that you know we um, we we were fortunate. We lived in for a year and a half in Brooklyn, 
uh, after we got married. And then the company I worked for, Slim Fast Foods Company, moved to Florida. They moved to Palm Beach, and I was asked to come along uh, to work there. And we, we moved to Boca Raton, for, and we lived in Boca Raton for three and a half years. Uh, it was great. We were able to buy a house. We were able to you know, set down roots, further our involvement in the Jewish community. And uh, about, I, I think, the summer of, summer of 1997, uh, we decided that we needed to take a pilot trip. Uh, so we've been living in Boca for a little over, uh, under, a little over two years. Um, we went to, um, we came for a pilot trip for two weeks. And that was really the time when we started to scout things out. How are we going to work? I was a lawyer. What was I going to do? Dodie was a psychologist. What was she going to do? Um, where we want to, you know, look at places realistically, what we can live in, what we can't live in. You know, it wasn't just that we'll go to Jerusalem and then visit Tel Aviv. You know, we really started right. to, 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 to think about a lot of different things. Just so happened, right before we went there, we were interviewed by a magazine called the, the, the Local Jewish Paper about That's people. what it's called? That's the name of it? No, I don't, I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> okay. Uh, the sun, uh, I, I don't remember okay. the Jewish something or other. Yeah. And the week that we happened to be away was front page story of us, South Floridians on the way to Israel. You know, we didn't right. tell anybody, so we had seven grandparents living down in Florida. They, we came back, they were a little shocked, but, you know, it was, we had, this is the process that started, and we had this great pilot trip. We met a lot of people, um, kind of started scouting out. We stayed at a, my friend Stu Schrader's house, and I remember Dodie was like, at, at one point, and she was like, okay, we have a house, we have a swimming pool, and we're going to move into a two-bedroom apartment. Deep breath. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And then we saw the houses on Ruvain. Right. And we were like, okay, we can also buy a house. You know, and yeah. that's, that yeah. was that. And then came back in 98 for a second pilot trip. I came back by myself. Um, Dodie was seven months pregnant with Matan. And um, she had a job opportunity at Nishmat. And they asked her to come to interview. So one week into my pilot trip that I took with Tihila. Yeah, uh, Dodi came seven months pregnant, and we were in Israel for a week together. Right, and uh, we eventually, through Lawrence Berkowitz, we found uh, the house that we moved into, and uh, things just worked out. So this is this is actually very interesting to me because, uh, uh, on the one hand, you're so clear the whole time you're moving to Israel. On on the other hand, the way you described the move to Florida actually made it sound like like you could have gotten stuck there and what I mean by that is you, you said you know you, you, you move because the company asked you to, to join them down in Florida and you you found a house and you put down roots and you were involved in the Jewish community were, were there moments of wait maybe we should just live this life or was it always clear that that it was just a, a stop. No, I, I think the, the Florida actually experience was a great way stop on our way to Israel. Great, explain because, that. Because um, we were living in Brooklyn. Um, we were making sort of, you know, we didn't want to stay in Brooklyn. Um, we wanted to, you know, we were going to go somewhere right. after Brooklyn because, you know, nobody wants to stay in Brooklyn. And uh, we were thinking about different things. Um, Especially Kevin Durant. He doesn't yeah. want to stay in Brooklyn. And... Uh, <laughs> 
and we, um, Florida allowed us to stop paying rent to buy a house. Um, right. Put some money, you know, put some equity away. Um, but we knew we were going to Israel. Florida also allowed us to leave my parents in New York, and my in-laws were in Chicago. Right. And we were in Florida. So we had a little bit of separation, even though we had seven of our grandparents living within 45 minutes of us. But it still was a separation, you know, from the... Um, and also, I think we took on... I remember we made a conscious decision when we went down to Florida that said we want to be active in the Jewish community. We want to be leaders. You know, and Dodi was the head of the mikvah for a while. She was very involved in the mikvah, in the shul. She taught classes. You know, I was involved in the shul. We, and Rabbi, through Rabbi Brander, there was a kolel that started. I was on the board of the kolel. And the kolel was unique that there were Israel. Israelis came to the kolel, and we had this. And, you know, we went from being in New York where you're kind of like, uh, you know, small fish in a big pond to being big fish in a small pond. Uh, and that was very, um, that was something that you know, continued to drive us. Um, I remember when there were the piguim and after Rabin was killed, you know, right. I remember going over to the, the, the Israeli Kolonix family, the two of Dodi and I and our kids, and we'd sit with them and listen to the news and, you know, kind of like we were very invested in Israel, right? very invested. And we knew we were making Aliyah. There wasn't a question that we were staying in Florida. Right. We, liked, we loved living in Florida, and we had great friends, and we were building this beautiful community, but we, know it was, we, we knew it was temporary. And it was only a matter of the day that we paid off the last loan from, from graduate school right. was the day that we opened up our teak. You know, it was really like we were, we were out of here. It wasn't a question <laughs> of are we staying in Florida. That wasn't, that wasn't even a, an issue. In fact, I'll, I'll never forget the day our lift came. I remember we were, you know, we had this 40-foot lift, this container. Yeah. And it's a stra- narrow street in Boca and, and very close friends. And, and I remember they were packing up our lift and Dodie and I are like, you know, starry-eyed and can't wait to go. And the people looking around at us like, what the hell is going on with these people? Where are they, are they going? Because Boca had a lot of Bali Chuva and a lot of people who were, like you said, very satisfied in Boca and very much it was this beautiful community, up-and-coming Jewish community. I remember people just looking at us like, it, it was, the feeling I always get is like probably what Noah felt wow. when people were looking around at him and saying, like, What's what, this these arc? guys are crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I remember once, um, you know, and Josh Fast lived down the street from us. Okay. Um, and I remember he mentioned once that that was really the time that the Aliyah bug you know, started germinating further in his mind. He was always on that path. But, you know, when he said, look, look at these people picking up and leaving. Um, and sure enough, after we left Boca, um, many families had followed. I think there were more than 40 families that we lived with in wow. Boca or, you know, came shortly after that made Aliyah. And a, a, good, a, good, a good percentage of that was, I definitely think, influenced by us. You know, I'm not going to say we didn't preach, we didn't say come, but I do remember speaking at our Aliyah going away party, and there were about 16 families there. I think about 14 of them live in Israel now. Really? I just remember saying, you know, when your kids come, if we can't get you, when your kids come to Israel, we'll get them. You know, <laughs> I remember feeling that definitely that we were 
we were having an impact on people's way of looking at things. Um, and a, a lot of the credit also in Boca goes to Rabbi Brander. Yeah. I mean, he was a huge supporter of Aliyah, always talked about Israel, always, he was a real pusher. You know, and then Rabbi Fast started Nefesh Benefesh down in Boca, and, and, but it was a very, uh, a good amount of that push came from Rabbi Brander. It didn't, it, we didn't need the push, sure. but a lot of people, he very much put it out there and made it very much central as to what it's like to be a Jew. And eventually um, got here himself. And eventually got here, right. right. Um, so I think that that was, that Boca, we never were afraid that we were putting down roots, even though we put down roots. Mm -hmm. But we knew we were so focused on coming to Israel wow. um, that it wasn't even a question for us. Can we shift gears? Sure. The way you describe your grandparents and, and how they had to sort of like cobble together work so that they could help their children have a better life who ultimately wanted their children to have a better life. Career in Israel has not been like a straightforward thing for you. It's not like you were an attorney in the States and you're, you, you came here, now you're an attorney here, and I mean, you're always an attorney, but, but talk about your career here because it hasn't been well, simple. It, it hasn't been simple, but um, I started out, I came as a general counsel of a high-tech company. You know, I went from being one of the younger executives at, when I was at SlimFast. Right to being, you know, one of the oldest people in the company. <laughs> um, you know, I had experience, um, but everything was new because high-tech was new for me. Right. Um, all the language of high-tech was new. Even, you know, I was working for, a, you know, a, a food company. I'm now working for a high-tech company. It's a very different world. Uh, I worked there for, um, my first job was at Delta Three, who um, I got through an uh, knowing the CEO who had gone to Brandeis with me, oh, okay. and we reconnected. Um, I, became, I became general counsel. We took the company public. You know, we raised $105 million. It was great. Everybody was, I was going to be a millionaire. Um, uh, then the, the market tanked. But what happened during that time, and we moved in 1998, and there was a big push where people were leaving Israel. Uh, companies were moving their businesses over to uh, America, and the, the Israel was becoming the development center. Right. Um, so what wound up happening with Delta Three is I became like the general counsel of the company. The business was all in America, and I was you know sitting in Israel. So my day was like the first part of the day I would catch up, and then you know four o'clock I would start working with America. And it, it I wasn't going to move to America. Right. So I, I moved on from there into some other things. Some some, you know, VC sort of ventures, and then that wasn't so simple, but I started a company there that I still continue to operate today. Um, but then I went into biotech and uh, became a general counsel and an executive at a biotech company, which uh, lasted for, oh, before that I was in another high-tech company, and then into the biotech world, um, and now to, to my present where I, I, uh, I run a family office for a family that, uh, uh, here in Israel. So, yeah, I have done various things. It hasn't been simple. There's been a lot of trials. Um, I didn't work for a year and a half, um, which was a difficult time for me personally. 
Um, but I've always like sort of approached every new job that I go into as a learning experience, and I learn from it, and I and I take what I take, and you know, and and I learn, you know. Most of the positions that I've had, I, I had no knowledge of the company that I was going into or the industry. So I've had to learn about the industry, learn about the things, and sort of become an expert in what I'm doing. Right. Uh, and right. uh, there's a certain amount of you know fun in that, certain amount of uncertainty in that, but it's uh, it's worked out. And, and you know, we we both grew up in a in a culture where where career very often is your identity. Um, I think that it can be your identity here also, but but I think for for uh, everything good that America has going for it and has always had going for it, I think defining people by their career is actually not a great thing. So where does career fit into to your identity? Um, uh, I think that my identity is for first, you know, family. Um, career is second. Um, certainly everything that I do is, um, is, is based on family. I would never make, at least I don't think, that I made decisions based on career. Um, when I moved to Israel, I wasn't moving to Israel as a career move. <laughs> right. You know, my right. decision to move to Israel was being part of Israel. The fact that I've been successful and have been able to have jobs and and make a nice living is 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 the cherry on top of everything. I was going to move to Israel no matter what. Right. Um, so I think that 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 my overall driver in my life is is my family and what's good for my family and uh you know i've been fortunate i've been fortunate that i've been able to you know develop expertise in different areas and been able to make a living and you know been able to give off the values and the, the you know my passion to my kids you know And I think that that, you know, I was also, I was also blessed to have a partner that encouraged that and was lockstep with me in everything that I was doing. And I was lockstep in everything she was doing. So we weren't out to to influence people or influence our kids from a point of view of telling them what to do. Right. We did it together and people followed us through example, not through you know, telling them this is what you have to do. Both friends that made Aliyah, people that made Aliyah. You know, I think, I think it was always us together doing these things. So I was first and foremost a husband. <laughs> right. 
and a father. Yeah. And, you know, I love coaching my kids in baseball. <laughs> really? And other kids, because I viewed that as a way of educating. You know, and I'm involved in the things that I'm involved in because I believe in them and the passion I think comes through and then people I believe if you're you're passionate about something and you're sincere then things come through and I think both Dodie and I that's what drove us and that's what how we lived our lives together and individually that's how we did things what do you want what do you want from your kids it's sort of an interesting question. Like, you know, you had, you had, in a lot of ways, uh, you had, how many kids were born here? One. So you had three kids born there, one born here, but all, even the ones who moved here with you, they were very little. Yeah. You had, in some ways, a significant advantage. What I mean by that is, you're always making Aliyah. Even today, you're still making Aliyah, right? You're still... You're, you may have been here for whatever it is, 25 years? 20, almost 25. Yeah, okay. 25. Um, but you're, you're still, you still have that passion and drive that brought you here in the first place. Yeah. I want to go to Israel because I want to help the Jewish future and, I, and right. there's, there's work to be done. Kids who are born here don't have that advantage. Well, I always say that the hardest thing about being an Oleh is that your kids won't be old. Yeah. Um, and that they won't have that same uh, goosebump moment when they hear Hatikva or when they go to the Tekes or, you know, at the uh, the Hofaot of Ezra. <laughs> right. Um, you know, that you, you can't, you know, replace that. But then again, you know, they have certain advantages that I don't have, you know. Um, you know, the, they kind of know the system a little better. Um, what I, I want for my kids to continue to follow their passion and to continue to build upon what, what we did and to, um, and to keep growing. I mean, I think that, I think the thing that Dodie and I were always passionate about was not being stagnant. And each day was a new opportunity for growth. Um, and each, each year is a new opportunity to put, to do something new. Um, you know, I'm at a crossroads now as to saying, what, what is my, what is the future for me? And I know I want to do something that's impactful. Right. And I don't know if it's impactful that people say, oh, look at what he did. Because um, I don't think I'm that type of person. Um, but I think it's in the subtle ways, you know, of, of doing things and, and being an example and people seeing and following me by example. Um, so I think I want my kids to keep on building the country. Um, if my passion would be to, you know, just like the brachot that we gave when they were in Ghana, that they'll be the person that builds the Beit HaMikdash. Right. Um, you know, that sees the Geula and sees all the challenges 
and 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 meets all the challenges that that come with living in this country head on, and not running away. And uh, bring up beautiful children, and you know, bezrat Hashem, you know, fill the world with passion. Do they know you feel that way? Uh, I think so. I think so. Um, I think they know that um, that I do, and I keep on wanting to grow. Um, and I think they saw again. I, I think they saw Dodi and I by example doing things. Right, right. And so uh, maybe now would be a good time for for me to to uh, admit to the listeners that I that I know about a project that you're starting to work on. C- can you talk about that or yet, or you don't want to talk about it yet? Um. I'm I'm talking about it. Okay. So, it's, so uh, you know, you talk about it, it becomes reality. Yeah. You know, so, it? what's the plan? So, um, you know, we're going to build uh, in Beit Shemesh a building for Matan Beit Shemesh. Matan was uh, is an organization for women's learning, um, started by Malki Bina in uh, in Jerusalem, and Dodi ran uh, the Sneef here in Beit Shemesh for a number of years. And uh, we're going to start a, you know, build a, a Beit Midrash for women and uh, some classrooms for the classes. And Bezrat uh, Hashem, that'll be uh, something that keeps, you know, Dodi's Torah alive. And uh, it'll be a beautiful memorial to her. And then also, as you said, it'll be like consistent with your philosophy of continuing to build and continuing yeah. to grow and yeah and you know, the idea that uh, we have to move forward yeah so if people are interested in getting involved they should contact you for sure because okay, so i'll put your email address in the uh sure in the description yeah. when i interviewed Dodie, she's like yeah so so we came here and then like basically everybody else in my whole family ultimately <laughs> came here also what happened with your family so um so you know, we moved in 1998. Uh, I, I said this at, uh, at a bar mitzvah. My sister-in-law, Marcy, Dodi's sister, moved in 1999. So they were our one-year anniversary present. <laughs> and in between uh, Rocky and Adam and uh, Dodi's grandparents moved. And then my brother was my 10-year anniversary Aliyah present. Uh, he moved. And, um, and um, my in-laws then moved. And uh, during the during the the pandemic, my parents um, my parents made Aliyah, and now they spend at least half the year here in uh, in Renana. And so, uh, you know, we're waiting for my sister to you know to move. Where's yeah. Where's she? She's in Great Neck. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, one day they'll move. And uh, but yeah, we have uh, we have all pretty much all our family here. You ever talk to her about it? I do. Um, different, you know. I, I I hope she's on her way. <laughs> uh, but again, it's uh, it's you know, it's whatever. People make their their decisions and and in the in the time that they make them. I guess we'll get to that when, when we get to the question of uh, whether uh, Aliyah is for everyone. Um, but we'll I, talk about I know that. We have very few close friends that are still in America um, from all walks of life that, you know, 
that we uh, that we've been involved with. Um, and and how much how much of that is your close friends moving here, and how much of that is losing touch with who were your close friends? Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's the people who we were close with were on the same path. Well, that's that's and great. Maybe coming to visit us and seeing how we were living gave them a little extra push. Yeah. Uh, to come and say, wow, or hearing about what we were doing, you know, gave them uh, a little extra push. Um, or even us doing it gave them a little extra push. Before the, before the formal interview, we were talking a little bit about, uh, about the situation in Israel and uh, even getting into politics a little bit. And, and uh, you were describing some things, and I might even include it, we'll, we'll see, but, but you arrived in Israel when you first were going through your process of Aliyah and how you describe it now, it's so positive and, and beautiful and high energy for helping to build. And when we talked about politics, it was kind of ugly. Now, politics in general is an ugly thing. But how much are you still starry-eyed about being here? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I remember the first election that I voted in, which was in 1999, and Barack uh, beat Bibi. Right. And I remember being completely despondent. And I walked into my office the next day, and someone just came up and said, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And this was a guy who was left-leaning. He said, you'll see, everything's going to be okay. Um, you know, I, I believe Akadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. And he runs the world and Israel even more. Um, so I'm not I'm not worried about things. I used to I used to think, oh, what's gonna happen? things work out? Things will work out for us. You know, we you know, we, in Israel, I think that there we live every day as a miracle. I think Ben Gurion said that, you know, in Israel, being a realist means believing in miracles. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, I remember years for years my dad would say you people over there I don't know how you live it's a miracle that you survive yeah it is a miracle but we make it happen and you know maybe there's Yad Hashem in most things and I think Dodi very much believed that uh, you know high tech was high tech was Yad Hashem you know that these things developed um, you know I believe that we are we are living in the times of the Geula and I think it's being manifested itself in, in many things. Um, you know, that we see the peace agreements that we have, uh, the fact that the world is dependent on Israeli technology, the fact that, you know, you know, we have, we've become a food nation, <laughs> you know, all these True. things like, you know, we, we've become this. Um, I think there's, the future is, is very bright for Israel despite all the fact that we walk around with doom and gloom over the politicians, <laughs> you know, despite the fact that we can't figure out how to make housing prices go down and affordable for, for young people. Um, I think that we're in, we're just in a great place. I can't, um, I couldn't imagine being any place else. In fact, I, I always said, like, if I didn't make Aliyah, I would be disappointed. But if you can't make Aliyah, and you're not thinking about Aliyah, that's the problem. Mm. 
problem is that Aliyah is not on the forefront because this is the center of the Jewish people. We're living Jewish history. We're creating Jewish history. I used to say, I said once to someone that, uh, you know, living here is being the player in the game as opposed to the fan in the stands. Yeah. The fan in the stands, no matter what you try to do, you don't have any impact on the outcome. Yeah, it's funny. Nefesh Benefesh used to have an ad. I'm sure you remember it. It was a picture of a, one of those plastic Keter chairs. It was a white Keter chair in front of the Kotel. And it said, you should have a front row seat to Jewish history. And I was like, no. They currently have a front row seat to Jewish mm-hmm. history. Right. What you should be saying is, be part of Jewish history. Right. And, and eventually they got rid of the ad. But I, didn't, I never understood how an organization could be so focused on bringing people here and could miss that nuance. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, I love Israel. I just love being in Israel. You know, Do you I, clap when you land? Uh, I don't know. It's been a long I haven't flown in three years, so it's been well, a long time. I, I, I used to turn my phone on and call my wife. Right, <laughs> right, right. Um, right. I used, to, I used to not clap. Yeah. I was like, these, these losers. Like, it's just, yeah. But you know what? About a year ago, I was like, I think I'm going to start clapping. It know, deserves clapping. Landing in the land of Israel deserves clapping. I know before I made Aliyah, uh, anytime I'd leave Israel, I would kiss the, the ground at the tarmac. As you were leaving? As I was leaving. And I remember being, always being very upset. Hmm. Um, I still get a jolt of energy when you fly in and you see the coast. Really? Um, you know, I still cry at the Tekkas. Yeah. And still get goosebumps, you know, for when I hear, um, when I hear uh, Hatikva. You know, I still, I, I think we, we used to call them Aliyah validation moments. Oh, okay. Seeing our kids doing Daglanut, seeing our kids <laughs> in the, in the plays, seeing our kids in the Siddha parties, you know, those were times when you felt like, wow. You know, forget about the army, which was just a, a different <laughs> level of wow. Um, yeah, and knowing all the warts and everything about the army through my kids, uh, you know, I still said the the army is kadosh. It's not made up of kadoshim, but it's kadosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel very much alive in Israel. You have three sons and one daughter. Your daughter did not do army, or she did army? She, no, she did Shewut. And was that always going to be the plan, or was there a discussion of possibly being in the army for her? I think it, I don't think I don't think it was a discussion. I mean, we didn't we didn't have much input into it. She was going to do what she was going to do. Right. But I think um, you know, we were three boys went to Hezder, one girl went to Shewut. My son-in-law went to Hesder. You know, I think that was just that's just who we are. Yeah. My two yeah. daughter-in-laws went to Sheirut. Right. Um, I don't know why. That's just the way it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can we talk about uh, some questions? Sure. There are a few questions here that that I already know the answers to. 
and we can cross-reference and make sure that you're telling the truth. So be careful. You ready? Okay. Yep. <laughs> In the Tobin house, Kedem or Israeli grape juice? Uh, some like Kedem, some like Israeli. I, I think I lean towards, uh, towards the Israeli grape juice, a little less sweet. And, um, and so it's whoever brings out the bottle, that's... Well, whoever goes shopping, which oh, okay. is usually me, so <laughs> I... Heinz or Israeli ketchup? Uh, awesome. Always has been. No, but uh, I like awesome better. Yeah. Um, is there an Israeli food where you're like, how can anybody actually like this? Uh, there are many. Um, you know, Mu'urav at the Yerushalmi, Mu'urav at the... Really? I can't, I can't, yeah. You, you can't stand the taste or you just can't bring yourself I, I to can't, eat organs? I, I can't eat organs. <laughs> no, not my thing. Dodi loved it, but you know, not my thing. What about what about an Israeli food that you really love the most? Falafel. I could eat falafel every day of the week. I don't do it, but I could. When you speak Hebrew, do you try to have an Israeli accent? Did you try to have an Israeli accent? I think I may have tried, and now it's just whatever it is, it is. I think it comes out now. You think what comes out? I think I have a... a I think I have no idea what I sound like, but I think I speak with an American Israeli accent. Yeah. So it was not a it was not an initiative for you. It was just like no, 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 no. I wasn't one of these uh, rolling uh, rolling my ratios guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about a pet peeve about life in Israel, if you have any. Uh, that the Haredim don't say that Tfilah Shlomo Medina and the, and the Mishaber for Chayalim. Even if they wouldn't say Rishit Smichat I would be okay with that. The fact that they don't really bothers me. You, uh, you don't feel so good about the Haredi world. I think Haredim are, as people, as individuals, I think are are just like everybody else, nice people. I'm sure there are nice people, there are not nice people. I'm sure there are special people and non-special people. I think the leadership is has been detrimental to, to people. And I think it's uh, not based on emet. Hmm. The leadership, not the Torah, the, but I think there has been, they've been doing things that are not based on emet. Right, right. How does that issue get solved? Hopefully, a next generation that that sees through it and sees that you know what's what's Emmet and what they want to do. Yeah, I once had a conversation with uh, Rav Nachman Kahana, Mayor's brother, and I was I was talking about this issue with him, and and I I, I asked him, you know, what can I, what can I do? I feel like I need to do something. He said. Your job is to bring up strong Dati Leumi children who can then impact the world in a positive way. Don't try to solve problems you have no control over. And yeah. I think that I think that was good advice. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Um, what would you have done differently if you knew then what you know now in terms of making Aliyah? Um, 
I don't think anything. Really? I don't think anything. I uh, I think we did exactly what we were supposed to do, and and things came together the way they were supposed to. Hmm. You you said that you you absolutely love everything about this place, and you know it's it's just a, a great place to live, etc. Is there anything that's been even better than you expected? Oh, wow, that's a... Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I go through life with expectations. Um, I try to, as much as possible, live in the here and now. You know, so I think that, you know, even the difficult things, the people and the experiences have been mostly positive. Um, so I don't, I don't think so. I, I think living in the here and now allows you to not be disappointed and not be overjoyed. Uh, mm. um, no, I think everything has been, you know, you know, pretty even. Sorry, just a, sort of like a. A follow-up. Given everything you guys have been through, how do you feel about Israel's health system? Um, amazing. Um, we got incredible care from incredible people. Hmm. Um, like everything, there's frustration. But, you know, when someone's sick, frustration is being sick. It's, you know, but, but we had fantastic doctors. The Sal Bariut is incredible. We didn't pay for anything. We got, you know, we had great insurance and we were covered for everything. Our doctor made sure we had every test that we needed to have. It may be when you're not sick, right. it's harder to get certain tests, but when you're sick, uh, there's, no, there's no limits. And I know that from comparison to people who are in other countries including America, where they have much more difficulty getting things covered and getting tests taken care of, and we had no issues with that. So from a point of view of health insurance, and you know, we did have private health insurance with help, but we had no, no regrets and no, I don't feel we had anything that was bad. It's funny, it's sort of like a, it's, it's a, it's an illustration of a, uh, I think a bigger characteristic of this country, which is Israel is a great when the game is on the line country, right? <laughs> when it's when it's really time to get serious, Israel's really good. But like you walk into a classroom, a fourth grade classroom on a Tuesday, and you're like, "What the heck is going on here?" Yeah, I, I think I think I think you're right. I think big picture Israel works. Yeah, I think there are a lot of things to fault on the micro level, um, but I think Israel by and large does things well, you know. Um, I just, you know, one thing that COVID brought us was this ability to Zoom events and people who were not necessarily able to come to Smachot um, were able to be part of them through Zoom, um, both on the good things and the bad things. I mean, yeah. we had my daughter's wedding um, last summer 
And so people who wouldn't be able to come saw it on Zoom and felt a part of it. And I remember a friend remarking how the passion at the wedding was really there, you know. Um, the formality of weddings in America doesn't really exist here that much. You know, I remember him remarking how my daughter at the Kisei Kala was dancing and didn't care about, <laughs> right. you know, what was going on. She was just the passion. And even the chuppah, the chuppah is like a carnival <laughs> in Israel. It's people jumping up and down and there's no formality. And stuff Maybe like there that. are some chairs, maybe there yeah, aren't chairs, right. maybe they're organized, maybe they're not. Right, <laughs> nobody's, you know, it's just spontaneity, you know, and, and that passion and that joy the absolute joy, I think, comes through. I, I think on the other side, the people who saw the funeral, Dodi's funeral, also saw that raw emotion, um, not only by the family, but by who was there. And I think Israel, that's definitely part of Israel, that, that unchained joy mm -hmm. and that raw emotion that comes out. Um, and I think it's all real. Not that it's not real in other places, but it's it's uninhibited. Yeah, Israel gives it a chance to be real. Yeah, right? um, I think you feel that. You feel when you go, there's real joy and real kol Yisrael aravim zelizah. You know, I think I remember once my my son, my son Ami said to me, I mean, it must have been about. 13 or 14 years old when he was talking about his friends and he just said Abba we're not friends we're Achim you know, and, I, and I for me growing up here in Beit Shemesh I felt this very much about my kids my boys at least that they didn't have many conflicts with friends because of the way they grew up there wasn't much competition you know, they weren't competing. Sports was something they did for fun, but it wasn't really competition. It's like At who least made the team, who didn't right. make the team. It, it, yeah. it wasn't really, we didn't have that here. I yeah. know in other places in Israel they may have it, but certainly here we didn't have it. You know, they were in, they were in youth group, and that was also very much like chevrati, very much like togetherness. You know, they're, so they really weren't competing in sports, and they weren't competing because girls were, you know, were in separate schools, so that wasn't like a That's thing. Right. Right. Um, and then they went to yeshiva and then they went to the army. It was very much like they grew up as just a real love for each other, for their friendships. Hmm. And I think that that's a very strong thing that, you know, it's funny because it sort of dissipates a little bit, you know, as they get older because, you know, you go into certainly jobs, it becomes more, more competitive and things like that. But I think certainly growing up, they grew up with, well, at least my children did not seem to grow up with a lot of competition amongst their friends, so they could just really just be pure, pure friendship. Yeah. yeah. Uh, other than here in Beit Shemesh, what's your favorite place to be in Israel? The Kotel. Really? You love it there? I love it there. Yeah. yeah. You go on a regular basis? I hadn't gone for a long time because of uh, circumstances, but I try to go... Um, try to go. Um, you have three choices. Strength, patience, or humility. Which helps most with life in Israel? Humility. Talk about that. Um, 
I think humility helps in everything, not just in <laughs> Israel. Knowing that, you know, sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong, but you can take a back seat and say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be second in line. Um, I think it's okay to be a friar sometimes. Um, I think when, you're, when you have humility, you understand that, you know, you're not in control of everything. Um, and I think it's, it's very important to understand that you're not in control, that you can only control so much in life. And sometimes you have to, uh, you have to accept. What do you miss most about, about the place you came from? And I don't know if that's Brooklyn or Great Neck or Boca. You can define it however you want to define it. Um, what do I miss most? I don't really miss anything like tangible. You know, um, you know, I, I, I have most of my family here. I have most of, I don't have any like material wants. So I don't really, you know, maybe if, you know, a three, $399 a month, you know, lease on a new car would be nice <laughs> if we had that here. But uh, other than that, I, I don't really have any, have any misses. You know, I don't, when I go to America, I'm like, ah, oh, never like, ah, oh, I miss this so much. Yeah. yeah. All right, here we go. Is Aliyah for everyone? Yes. It's, it's for everyone. Um, That's all I'll say. What's your magnet? What keeps you going through thick and thin, no matter what? What's that line that you have on a magnet on your fridge? Hashem hu alakim. Right. Keep it simple. Yeah, that's it. Has that been an important element in terms of your life? It's like, don't complicate things. You know, we were talking about the election before. I think so. Uh, I think, I think, uh, you know, I remember when I was uh, dating Dodie, I think I said, she was... She asked me something, and I just said, you know, what do you want from me? I just started thinking yesterday, you know. <laughs> I'm not a big overthinker. Right. You know, um, even dealing with with the challenges that I've gone through, you know, especially recently. I I believe that God controls the world and that you know while I'm on this earth as a living being you know I do what I can do and try to do the best that I can do but ultimately you know ultimately you know this world is the amount of time we have in this world is not in our control. 
Right. And, uh, you know, do it and do the best things that I can do. I want to, I want to continue to have an impact on, on all different levels, on my, you know, certainly on my family level, on my community level, and on the greater, you know, the greater community. Um, I think that being here in Israel is, is a, a way to impact the future of the Jewish people. In fact, I believe that we're getting to the point where we have two Jewish peoples. Wow. That there is the, the people that live in Israel and the people that don't live in Israel. I think in um, certainly in the liberal world or the what I'll call the liberal Jewish world, we're in different we're in different places. Sure. Um, but even I think within the religious world, in America and Israel, we're in very different places. Um, I don't think there's any reason why someone can't make it in Israel. We have jobs for everybody. There may be not the same economic opportunities for everyone, but there are economic opportunities. Um, I think part of it is being able to admit that you have to take the step. I don't think education has been very good in the Orthodox community in America. Um, I don't think the importance of Israel has been emphasized enough, still to this day. I don't think the idea that the Gullet mentality is something that's not the ultimate has been emphasized. I mean, we do have, it's pretty clear from reading the Torah, where we're supposed to be. Right. Um, I think we're at the point now where it's not the same as Avram going from Orkastim to here, or even from ancestors going from Europe to, to Israel. We're a flight away. And you can land in Israel with your cell phone and your job and hit the ground running, and it's not that difficult even though it is difficult, <laughs> okay? But we all have difficult things in our lives. And we just have to determine whether or not this one is gonna be something that we're gonna be willing to do. Um, you know, I know people have made Aliyah who didn't know a, a word of Hebrew. And they're here in Israel for almost 20 years. Right. And they're still going strong and they're doing okay. And I know people who came and didn't know how they were gonna make a living. And they figured it out. It, but it, it's all a matter of what you want as an individual. Right. You know, and that's, I think, a big challenge for people to put that, to make that determination. Again, I was fortunate that I had a life partner that saw eye to eye with me. Well, it, it, it is a matter of what people want as individuals. And... And I think part of, part of what makes it so uncomfortable sometimes for people like us to talk to people there 
about it is they, they, they I, I really believe they want, they want to feel the way we feel, and some of them just, they can't get there. They just don't feel that way. They just... Yeah, I... I for some of them, it's just, they're com completely ignorant because, of, like you said, like the education or whatever, like, it's not even on the radar screen. But there are those for whom it's on the radar screen, and, and radar screen, and they just, ugh... They just like life there too much <laughs> to well, want to come here. But they don't want to say that. Look, everybody makes individual choices yeah. at the end of the day. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure I've made individual choices that other people can look at and say, why did you do that? Um, I know I came to Israel not because of that I was running away from any place and not because I had expectations about materialism. Right. I moved to Israel because primarily because I knew it was a mitzvah doraita and I wanted to be part of shaping the history of the Jewish people. When I went on my Aliyah flight, I was standing up with my son Matan, who is three months at the time, when we were standing at the galley, I was with my father-in-law and the people, we came from Chicago on the flight, so there were a bunch of people who were Christians who were coming from Dallas. Right. I remember we were talking with a man and he asked me where I was going and I said, oh, I'm going, yeah, why I was going to Israel? And I said, we're moving. And he said, why are you moving to Israel? And I said, I believe it's a commandment from the Torah to move to Israel. And he put his hands on my father-in-law's shoulder and he said, your son-in-law is a holy man. <laughs> wow. I grew up thinking people who lived in Israel were holy. That's the way I grew up. That's the messaging I got growing up from the people that I was surrounded by, from my parents especially. Not everybody gets that message. But I think when we look at what Israel has become, and I can look at what Israel has become in 24 plus years that I've lived here, it's, it's more than exceeded any expectations that I had. I see my kids, and that's more than exceeding any, any expectation that I have. I see my whole family flourishing, and that's just something that you, you know, really feel. I think all the benefits of Israel, all those things about family, the importance of family, the closeness of family, all those things exist here. Um, even as kids spread out their wings right. and fly in their own directions, sure. you see that you see that you see that closeness. I have so much hakaratov for Israel. I don't have expectations that Israel owes me things. Right. My expectation is what can I do to help Israel go forward? And that's part of my passion at this point in my life, is what am I going to do to make that next impact? Mark Tobin, thank you for returning again to your story. And uh, there is a lot more to be done, and I know you're going to be right in the middle of the action going forward, too. So, that's the to you. Thank you.